You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today's message is entitled, The Lord is at Hand. It's from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. We're going to continue in the book of Philippians. We're nearing the end of this book, so if you have... Your Bible, find the book of Philippians in the very last chapter today, Philippians chapter 4. I hope you've enjoyed going through this as much as I have, starting this this uh, this new position off at this new location. I found Philippians to be so rich. Amazing. This is the seventh sermon from a four-chapter book, and, and none of the chapters are very long. Let me just give you a review if you haven't been here, just some kind of the things that we've been talking about. This is written by the Apostle Paul. It's in prison. It's a church that, that he planted, a church that he grew, a church that he loved. In chapter 1, he, he exhorts them, he encourages them, he thanked them for their fellowship in the gospel. And he said that, that his prayer for them was that their knowledge would abound more and more and that they would grow in godliness. And he told them in that chapter that for him to live as Christ and to die as gain and He ended that chapter saying that, hey, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In chapter 2, he tells them to fulfill his joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. And we talked about unity. He reminded them in chapter 2 that that one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. He told them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And we, we talked about that a few weeks ago, how that's personal walk and and a corporate walk. Then in chapter 3 that we finished last week, Paul talked a great deal about himself and his past, and that even though that he was a man to be admired by some, that he counted everything that he had acquired as rubbish so that he may gain Christ. How he wanted to know Christ and to make Christ known. And last week we talked about pressing on He reminded them of the enemies of the cross of Christ, and he did this saying that he even wept over it. And so that brings us to chapter 4. And and I've read through chapter 4, and I think that I can squeeze at least two more sermons out of this this book. But today, we're not going to end it today, but uh, I'm just going to focus on the first seven verses today. As he gets ready to close this letter out, really, what... What he wants to do more than anything, he wants to make sure this church, the Philippian church, is fully equipped to handle whatever lies ahead with or without him. And I believe that's what he would want for First Baptist Drive Prong, for us to be equipped for whatever lies ahead. So let's read these seven verses together this morning. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eudea and I implore Sancti to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I've read through this a whole bunch this week. A whole bunch. And overall, when I read through this, my mind, my eyes, they keep going to five words, five words in verse five. And those five words are this, the Lord is at hand. Church, I, I really, I want to tell you that as a believer, if you can grab a hold of these five words, if you can understand this truth, and everything else in this passage and really everything else in, in the book of Philippians, everything else in the Bible and everything else in life really makes sense if you can understand that the Lord is indeed at hand. All through the Bible, all through the book of Philippians, Paul's writing and telling them to rejoice and he's telling them to press on. And to, to an outside person, that seems strange how a person could be in prison, how a person could be denied necessities, be away from the people they love and still rejoice. But here, Paul says, the Lord's at hand. So I want to walk you through these seven verses this morning. And I want to tell you some truths that we need to grab hold of because the Lord is at hand. I've preached in Philippians 4 a lot of times, and usually we go right to verse 13. And a lot of times we we read over these couple of verses in the beginning, but I believe every verse in your Bible is important. And I believe it's there for a reason. So he writes them in, in verse 2, and, and he, he calls out two women. And he says, I implore Judea and Sancti to be of the same mind in the Lord. So listen, because the Lord's at hand, because the Lord's at hand, we need to grab hold of this first truth that silly disagreements or silly arguments amongst believers need to be dealt with before they, because, before they cause a greater problem. These two women, they were, they were two women in the church, and evidently they had a disagreement about something. They were not on the same page about something. Now, we don't know what the disagreement was about. But the fact that, that he doesn't address it specifically lead many to believe that it wasn't a doctrinal issue. It wasn't a heretical issue. Unlike the other books, he doesn't talk about anything specific. He just says, I want to be of one mind. And we know that these ladies were Christians, even leaders in the church. Church, you, you've heard me say it before and you'll hear me say it again. Some things are worth fighting over, but most of the time arguments that arise within churches, within believers are over silly, trivial things. Have you ever seen a silly argument tear a church up? I'm only into being a pastor seven years, I suppose, and been going to church my whole life. But I tell you, I feel like I've seen it all. Very rarely does a church split up over something doctrinal. A lot of times it's over the silliest things. I've seen worship wars, uh, wars over the color of the walls, critiques over sermons being too short, sermons too long. Maybe we should do this program or that program. And Paul's plan on dealing with this was to call on a on two outside sources. He says, I, I get with Clement and get with this unnamed person who's called a true com companion or a more literal translation is a loyal yoke fellow. 
Church, understand this this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your family or amongst other believers. But listen, the Lord's at hand. If you can't resolve your differences with another believer, consult an outside source. Find middle ground. The Lord is at hand. It's time for believers to be united, not divided. The Lord's at hand. Every decision we make, everything we do, every relationship we have, we need to remember that the Lord is at hand. And don't be fooled this morning. Little arguments lead to big arguments. Feeling of res- feelings of resentment grow like a cancer. Pretty soon, two people turn into two groups and it ends in disaster. And Paul saw the potential for, the- for this. And he says, hey, I implore you all, to get together, get of the same mind. So this morning, I don't want to skip over that. I want to plead with you this morning. The pastor is the last to find out about these kind of issues. So I want to tell you, if there's something going on, I plead with you to resolve whatever differences you may have because the Lord is at hand. Secondly, I see because the Lord is at hand, He tells them to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So church, I'll just say this. Rejoice. Soon and very soon we are going to see the King. The coming of the Lord. That isn't something that should be feared. That isn't something that that should be put off. It's something that should be looked forward to. And I read this and I'm just amazed that he has to write it twice. Rejoice. Verse 4. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. And he's been writing rejoice all through the book. Let me share with you a personal word about this. You know, when I was in high school, I entered high school in 1998. Y'all remember what was on the horizon in 1998? Y2K was coming. And I knew many, many, I mean, we know them today, doomsday preppers. And you may be here today and you may be one and that's fine. But let me tell you, when Y2K was coming, many just knew that Jesus was coming too. About that same time, the Left Behind series came out. And everybody's talking about this. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I was saved. I was actively involved with church. But the thought of Jesus returning was not something that I wanted to rejoice about. I wasn't, I wasn't happy about the thought of living my happy life here. I just got my driver's license. I just got my first job. I'm starting to, to get girlfriends. I'm looking forward to college. I got this great big life ahead. And now you want me to rejoice over the thought of the world I know ending? It didn't make no sense. So I go back in, in time and, and I think about that. And I think about Paul writing this. And I think about my job now. How can I tell y'all to rejoice? What was the problem? What was the problem? Even though I was saved, even though I was in a Bible-believing church, I couldn't bring myself to rejoice over those five words. Now that I've grown more and I've read more, I totally understand this a little bit more. See, the problem was, and the problem is, that many Christians, probably most Christians, I would argue, get their theology about heaven Get their theology about the return of Christ from a book, from a country song, or even Hollywood. I go back in time, you know, when I was a kid, one Christmas I got some books. I got some pop-up books. 
And one of those books, I called my mom this week and, and she still has it. And the pop-up book I was given was a book about heaven. A great, great book to give to a five-year-old boy about Jeremiah's age. I couldn't read that well, but as I got older, I learned to read it. And that book was called The Littlest Angel. It was about the littlest angel in heaven. And in that book, the boy was an angel, first off. That's strike number one. We know we don't turn to angels when we die. But take that aside. It's a book about heaven. It should be good for me to read. But the boy in heaven is longing to go home. And here, here's an excerpt from the book. That was the whole trouble, the little angel said. There wasn't anything for a small angel to do. And he was very homesick. Oh, that paradise wasn't beautiful, but the earth was beautiful too. Wasn't it created by God Himself? Well, there were trees to climb and brooks to fish and caves to play a pirate chief. The swimming hole and sun and rain and dark... And dawn and thick brown dust so soft and warm beneath your feet. It's a neat book. But that book was teaching me, even as a child, that when we get to heaven, we're going to miss things here. How many of you want to go to heaven where there's, where there's crying kids? I don't want that. I can't rejoice over that. That don't even make sense. But it didn't end there. How many of you know the, the lyrics to Steve Werner's song, Holes in the Floor of Heaven? Because there's holes in the floor of heaven and her tears are pouring down. That's how you know she's watching, wishing she could be here now. That don't sound like somebody that's really happy in heaven. Couple that with Hollywood. Movie City of Angels. Nicolas Cage is an angel and he leaves willingly leaves heaven to have a taste of earth. Meanwhile, in Hollywood's little Nicky, Adam Sandler has a comfortable life in hell. Church, let me just tell you, if you're getting your theology of what's to come from anywhere else than the Bible, it's no wonder you have a hard time rejoicing over this thought. You're getting it from the wrong place. Now let me tell you, I, I fully admit and I fully submit to you this morning that I don't know everything about heaven. But let's just think logically about this for a moment. Do you really think a perfect God, the perfect Lamb of God, a perfect God would design for Himself a place to live in all of eternity that was anything less than perfect? Listen, my, my two favorite places, I'm so blessed to have got to travel. My two favorite places on planet Earth are Alaska and Hawaii. And I could tell you, if they were heaven, God would reside there. Don't misunderstand me. I know God's everywhere. But those two places are going to pale in comparison to heaven. Look, if you have Jesus, you have reason to rejoice because His return is at hand. Flying or dying, I'm going home. Flying or dying, you're going to meet Jesus and you're going to meet Him soon. Listen, it is reason to rejoice this morning. It's not reason to be scared. There's not going to be crying in heaven. You're not going to look down here and say, oh, I missed this life. If you are able to look down here, you'll say, man, I hope they come to me. Those loved ones you have, those loved ones you've lost, even if, even if they were children, I assure you they're better off today than they were ever here on this earth. Don't let the world fool you on this. He also says in verse 5, where we read the Lord is at hand, He says, look, let your gentleness be known to all men. Well, that's, what's that supposed to mean? 
You know, no word translates that word well. It's from a Greek word, epikis. But commentators consistently insist that it, it just really contains an element of selflessness. The gentle person does not insist on his own rights. It's that considerate courtesy and respect for the integrity of others which prompts a man to be forever standing on his rights and is preeminently the character of Jesus. Not to be standing in your rights. In other words, it's to be Christ-like, to show Christ through your character and to everyone else you see. Really, in the most simplest terms, the Lord is at hand and the world needs to know. A parallel passage, I think, is what Peter wrote, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Living like Christ makes the world question your character. And what a great response when somebody asks for the reason for the hope that is within you. What a great response is just to say, hey, the Lord's at hand any day, any day. He's going to come get me or I'm going to go see him. The Lord's at hand and I'm rejoicing. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not worried about that. So I'm going to show Christ to the world. The Lord is at hand. He goes on and he says this in verse five. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, if you can grab hold of those five words that the Lord is at hand, here's the truth. Anxiety should totally cease because the Lord's at hand. If I'm being honest, because of a warped perception, a time in my life when Everybody was talking about Jesus coming. It didn't decrease anxiety. It increased it. I didn't know what that meant. But let me tell you, church, if you're a believer and you have a right theology about heaven, a right theology about Jesus, it won't be long till every single problem you have will be forever solved. Financial problems, family problems, health problems for the believer, it's about to be solved. Even if you're here this morning, and even if you have terminal cancer, because the Lord is at hand, cancer's not going to win. Sickness won't win. Hate won't win. Depression won't win. Christ has the victory. Because the Lord is at hand. You don't have to be anxious for everything, but rather by everything, by prayer and supplication, have thanksgiving. And look in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace is promised through Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me, and you, you may be like me, there was, I, I don't always like preaching on things like this, on eschatology type sermons about the Lord coming because... The normal response is, well, no man knows the day or the hour. Well, look, I'm just preaching the Bible and Paul says the day of the Lord is at hand. And if it was at hand then, you better believe it's at hand today. So let me just share the story. I, 
and I'll, you're probably going to hear it a lot from me in my career at Drive Prong because it's just part of my story. It forever changed how I read passages like this. So don't put off the most important decision of your life because the day of the Lord is at hand. But that can mean one or two things this morning. Let me share a trip down memory lane. Me and Carissa, we were married April 23rd, 2011. And we had a great honeymoon. We went to St. Lucia. St. Lucia, the Sandals Resort. And while we were down there, we saw this sign... And this sign was on the side of a, of a building, but they also put it on billboards. Put it up there, Janice. That was the sign. I won't ever forget that. Now, me and Carissa, we had just been married. Now, my theology had grown since this point. So this is what it said. Save the date. Return of Christ, May 21st, 2011. Now, those of you in here that know the Bible, maybe y'all saw this. Well, we know it pretty plainly says that no man can know the day or the hour. But me and my other Christian friends, we, we muse back and forth about this. We said, hey, you know, we got two weeks left. You know, better do what you need to do. Go buy a truck. You won't have to pay for it because May 21st, <laughs> it's going to end soon. Save the date. It's coming. We can know. That's what it says. And it was great joking, and, and my mind went back and forth. What would it be like, you know, if that was the day? What, what a grand, grand ploy it would be by our Savior to do that, to say, hey, yeah, I can could, I could come whenever I want to come. But we get back from our honeymoon, and, and things are okay, and that date's getting closer and closer. Well, something happened in between our honeymoon and this date. On May 16th, Five days before this day, I had a grand mal tonic-clonic seizure. And the seizure was bad, but, but that really wasn't the worst of it. I fell about five feet down out of a trailer house flat on my face. I was a bloody, bloody, bloody mess. Unconscious. I mean, maybe it wasn't hours, but it seemed like it. I, I even fractured my neck. I, I've got pictures somewhere. Maybe I could show you sometime. And that day, I nearly met my maker. So look, here's the lesson I learned that day. If that prediction had been right, even though I was, you know, 28 years old, I guess, I almost did not live to see it. See, church, it really doesn't matter. If, if I could tell you, Today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I could tell you the Lord was going to be here at 12 p.m. tomorrow, I cannot guarantee that you're going to be here to see it. That was my story. I almost didn't make to see if the prediction came true or not. Take it from me. Nobody, no man knows the day or the hour. But every man knows that the day or the hour is coming. We, we don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know what age we'll be, we don't know the circumstances, but let me tell you this morning, everybody in this place has an appointment with Jesus. The day of the Lord is at hand for us all. So I just ask you this morning, what have you been putting off till tomorrow that you need to do today? What if? What if the Lord did come and gather His church tomorrow? What if He came tonight? 
What if you were like I was at a revival service one time and you didn't live to see the next invitation? I was at a revival service once and the man's name was Frank. He sat in the back and he had a great great time. I remember he, he told us how great the revival was and the next morning I got the call that Frank had died in a car wreck. I believe Frank was a Christian. But church, this, is, this was written to Christians and this is important for Christians to know because there are things that even as Christians we put off because we think we have all the time in the world. I'll join the church next week. I'll get baptized later. I got salvation worked out now so that the most important thing's done, but I'm just going to put this off till later. I'll tell my, my, my friends about Jesus later. I'll tell my wife about Jesus later. I'll get into the Word later in life. You know, when the kids get older, I'll have more time. I'll give to the church later whenever God blesses my finances more. Meanwhile, let me tell you, all signs point to a worse economy than a better one. But let me tell you, now's not the time to put off what God's calling you to do because you might not have another chance. So let me just end this, this morning by reading this verse 7 again. The Lord's at hand. But look, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That promise of peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, not a peace that, that comes from drug or that comes from alcohol, not a peace that, that comes from some euphoric thing, a peace that surpasses all understanding is promised to those who have Christ Jesus. If you have Christ Jesus, whether Christ returns eight years, 80 years, whether you live to see it or whether you go see Him, whether you live to be 20, 30, 40, 50, or 100 years old, you can have that peace if you don't have it already. But it only comes, it only comes through Christ Jesus. Do you know what Jesus' last words in your Bible is? It's in Revelation twenty two twenty, the very last page of your Bible. The, if you have a red letter Bible, it's going to be the very last red words. And Jesus says this, Surely I am coming quickly. Oh man, I, there's a lot of things about heaven I can't wrap my mind around, but one of those things is eternity. We get so wrapped up in living our lives here, and, and I believe in, in, I believe in voting for, for the candidates that's going to have us the best policy. I believe we live in the best nation on planet Earth, but let me tell you, heaven ain't never going to come to Earth. There'll be a new heaven and a new Earth, but we can't make heaven here on earth. We can go be with our Savior in heaven. We can have that peace and go be with our Savior. The Lord is at hand. How will that affect your actions today? And how will that affect your actions this week? Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood the message. I hope you have reason to rejoice because I assure you the Lord is at hand. 
If you're in the area, we'd love to have you come join us for worship at First Baptist Dry Prong. We meet every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. for worship and uh, 6 p.m. Sunday nights. Have a great week.